You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, David. Worship team, Bert Wallace. Um, the songs are always well chosen. Uh, they are perfectly chosen this morning. They're perfectly chosen every week. The Holy Spirit leads David as he works diligently to t- connect the songs with the text. We're going to be thinking a lot about God's mercy this morning. If it's your first time to grace, welcome. We're really glad that you can be with us as we worship the Lord together. A uh, couple of announcements I want to make before I jump in. Uh, one, tomorrow night. There's a new classical Christian school starting up in Lillington. I don't know if you're aware of that. A Velos Christian school. Velos is Greek for arrow. We want to shoot the arrows straight, right? Um, So there is an information meeting tomorrow night in Lillington at Crossroads Church. And if you are interested, you were supposed to have signed up by February 9, but there are some of these flyers out there. They might still at least hit the um, hit, hit up the um, the oh what's the thing called QR code? Come on, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Help me now, children. <laughs> uh, the QR code and just see what they say. Maybe they'll shut you down, or maybe they'll say, "No, come on, we can make room for one more. We'll get another stalk of broccoli." You know to serve to you when you're there. But I am so excited. I'll tell you this. um, When we first bought this property, lots of people said to me, we need to build a Christian school here. And I would say, if it can be like Trinity Academy in Raleigh, then I'm all for it. That was a classical Christian school in the days when they were first starting to become popular. Little did I know that my future wife would be teaching there when I met her. Um, And little did I know that we would have a classical Christian school in this area. I cannot tell you how impressive it is. You ought to be there just to know what they do and and to pray for it. Um, It's a great great light in an increasingly dark world. The other thing I want to mention, Grace Marriage yesterday morning, 17 couples attended Yesterday morning, Grace Marriage. There was a couple um, that Ben and Jill McGuire knew in Kentucky. Brad and Marilyn Rhodes, I think it is. Um, And they have put together this program for marriage. Not only did every single person that I talked to yesterday say how wonderful it was. Every man that I talked to said how wonderful it was. I don't think there was a man that was excited when he came in at 8.30 yesterday morning, but everybody was blessed by the time they left at 12.30. Now, you can still sign up. We're going to have three more of those sessions in April, during the summer, and then the fall. Um, But I would encourage you, I would love for that number to double. It's really great. The format's great. The people are great. Posture. Everything about it is good, and you will not feel awkward, I promise you. It'll just be helpful for your marriage. So, 
I've spent too much time on it, but that's okay. If um, I go long, blame Ben and Joe McGuire and, you know, all the folks at Velos. Um, well, I want to commend you, those of you who have been here for a while, I want to commend you for staying engaged with Daniel now that we've been uh, in the difficult chapters for four weeks. The last four weeks, we've only been in two chapters of Daniel, chapters 7 and 8. We're going to spend this Sunday and next Sunday in Daniel chapter 9, beginning today with verses 1 through 19. Uh, to help with your study, I'm going to begin posting the notes that the leaders receive to help with the home group questions. I send out home group questions every week. Then I send a supplement for the leaders to help them in leading the discussion. I hope to add more and more to those as we go along because there's so much that can't be said on a Sunday morning. But those will be posted um, on our website in the sermon section. They'll come out either Thursday night after all the home groups have met or even by Sunday. By Sunday morning, they'll be there for sure. This week, their own church center. So if you want to just get an idea of what those notes are like and how they can be a supplement to your study in Daniel, you can find them on church center in the resource section. <clears throat> this morning's text uh, begins with another prophecy slash history lesson, but it's very brief and it moves quickly to a prayer of repentance by Daniel. Your mercy, Lord, we're praying for your mercy. Your loving kindness leads us to repentance. We've been singing about it all morning long. Daniel is going to first give us first-hand instruction on how to pray. In this prayer, we're going to find help in understanding God and how we are to relate to him, how we are able to relate to him. Today's sermon is going to be a bit different than usual. So here's the order of the message this morning. I'm going to start off explaining the context of the prayer that's going to be in verses 3 through 19. But I'm going to just spend a little time in verses 1 and 2. Talk a little history, a little prophecy, and then move on in to thinking about principles that we're going to discover when the text is read. So you're going to be looking for certain things. I want to make you aware of certain things before we even get to verses 3 to 19. Then we'll read the text. Sermon will be halfway over or over halfway over by the time we stand and read the text together. And then at the end, we'll draw application from that text. Now look, we could go verse by verse, and I, I know that's very meaningful to you. I, that's the way I started off preaching. I still do it a lot. But there's so many more, there are so many more implications to this text than just what we could dig out if we were spending three weeks going verse by verse by verse. I've got confidence in you that you will have no trouble understanding verses 3 to 19. Now, a few times I've said in the home group notes, there will be no problem with this kind of discussion. And the uh, home group leaders have responded with <laughs> So hopefully that's not going to be the case this morning. You will have no trouble understanding this. But to understand it in the larger context of Scripture, because I got to tell you, it, there's no way to count all the verses that are used in praying this prayer from Daniel. And there's no way to count 
verses in the future that will be used from Daniel's prayer. It's all over scripture. These principles are everywhere. So there's much to understand. And there's only an hour and a half to get this done, so we need to jump. No, actually, it's only half of that to get this done, so we need to get going in the first two verses. Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, or Yahweh, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, you'll notice in verse 2, Lord is supposed to be in all caps. I thought I had put it in all caps. Whenever it's in all caps in your Bible, uh, look for it in your Bible. You'll see it. It's all caps. It, it refers to Yahweh. It's, it's identifying God's name of Yahweh. Most of the time in Daniel, he has used Adonai and Elohim <clears throat> to identify God. And these terms are used by other people, others. Secular folks would have had no trouble identifying those words. But whenever you see Yahweh, almost always... If not always, almost always, it's in relation that God is using it in relation to his people, in relationship with his people. He was their personal God. Now, occasionally, it'll say, Yahweh is greater than all gods, which really are no gods, right? Yahweh is the only God. And I won't go into it now. I didn't have it written down, but you can trace how the New Testament writers, when they translated Yahweh, it went from Hebrew to Greek to, the, to, uh, to our language, English. They identified Jesus with Yahweh. So we're going to use the word Yahweh every time it comes up in Daniel 9. Now, Daniel 9 is the only place in this prophecy that Yahweh is used. You want to guess how many times it's used? Seven. Seven. Six today in verses 1 to 19, and then we'll see it next week in verse 20. The impetus for this great prayer of repentance and confession and faith in God's promises for the deliverance of his people was Daniel's personal Bible study in the writings of Jeremiah. Uh, who had written in both chapters 25 and 29, of course there weren't chapters then, but what we know is chapters 25 and 29, that the Jews would be held captive in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel was excited to see that the time for the restoration of Jerusalem was at hand. He and his friends had been in captivity since 605 B.C. when they were removed from Jerusalem. And it was now 538 B.C. or 67 years into the captivity that Jeremiah had prophesied. We know this because we know that it was Cyrus' first year of ruling over the empire. Darius was either a title or another name for Cyrus. 
Cyrus, we've talked about last week, the Persian king, had defeated the Medes, his grandfather being the king of the Medes. And now he had come in and captured Babylon. And he was using the name Darius. Why would you do that? Well, there's a parallel, of course, with the Carolina Panthers, right? It makes perfect sense. You see this connection. It's just, I know it's already been in your head. When the Carolina Panthers came into existence, they were located in Charlotte. North Carolinians wanted to know, why don't we just call them the Charlotte Panthers? But Jerry Richardson, the owner, said, because we want South Carolinians to feel ownership in this team. So they are the Carolina Panthers. That may be very well why Cyrus was using this name of a country that he had defeated. In fact, they used it all the way down. Alexander the Great defeated Darius III. So, now you have to deal with the years. Um, pretty soon after this is written, God's people are going to start going back to Jerusalem. So, it could have been 67 to 68 years instead of 70. Or, it could have been that he started out here and it wasn't it was 70 years fully before they got back. Or, it could have been something like, you ever ask somebody, ever ask you the time... And you say, it's 10 to noon, it's 10 minutes to 12, when it's really 1148, it's really not that big a deal. Just don't get hung up on that. And if anything, it's no shock that a merciful God would deliver his people just a little bit ahead of when he said they would. Better than just a little bit behind, right? But see, Daniel was looking at this prayer, <laughs> or looking at the prophecy, and even though he was excited that the 70 years of exile were almost over, he was concerned that God's people had not fully turned from the sins that had landed them there in the first place. Therefore, Daniel humbled himself before Yahweh and provided God's people <clears throat> with a model prayer for repentance and trust or a gospel-driven prayer for forgiveness and mercy. You think about this. We don't we weren't there in the time, so this has lost its impact. But if we had been there, this would be quite shocking to us. As Ralph Davis asked, who would have thought that it would be a government bureaucrat in the vast maze of the Persian Empire who would teach us to pray? Before we read verses 3 through 19, I want to alert you to the following truths in Daniel 9 uh, that are affirmed everywhere in Scripture and that we're going to discover in our passage. It's just that they're, they're all here in one place together, which produces a powerful effect on believers and a powerful example for us to follow, to follow when we need to pray this sort of prayer. So let's begin with the first biblical principle, which is prayer is part of God's plan for fulfilling his promises to his children. Now, when you think about it, that seems a little bit counterintuitive. In fact, if you make a promise to your children that we're going to go get ice cream after dinner, 
and they ask you like six times in the day, are we going to go get ice cream after dinner? You know, you're like, hey, don't you trust me? <clears throat> well, that's not the way it works in our relationship with God. Prayer is the way that God gets the whole thing done. It's the design by which he moves in the world. But you have to ask, why would Daniel pray for God to accomplish the thing that he had already decreed would happen? If God is sovereign, why pray? That's a question often asked by those who find the notion off-putting that God chooses specific people and individuals to be his children. <clears throat> In fact, why pray if God has already planned what will happen in the lives of individuals and churches and nations? Why? Because God commands us to. Because it's one of the primary means by which we commune with God. Because it is God's design for how he accomplishes his will on the earth. If you may be thinking, I don't pray that much and it all seems to happen anyway. Well, somebody else is praying. Somebody else has taken up your slack, doing the job for you. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Well, that's kind of the deal, isn't it? Maybe the best example of the way God uses prayer is found in Romans 9, 10, and 11. In Romans 9, God makes it clear through the Apostle Paul that he is the one who chooses who will be saved. And don't be asking God about it any more than a, a, a piece of clay ought to ask a potter, why did you make me into this sort of bowl? It's, it's very jarring, Romans 9. <clears throat> Especially if you tend to think, God gives us a choice, and it's up to us to make the choice. He doesn't have anything to do with that. Romans 9 is pretty jarring. In fact, ultimately, I could never get past Romans 9. But here's the interesting thing in Romans 9 and 10 and 11 is that there's all kinds of prayer going on for God's will to be accomplished. And it's all kinds of prayer for people to be saved that aren't trusting Jesus right now. The first of Romans 9, the first of Romans 10, later in Romans 10, Paul says, if we don't take the gospel to people, they can't be saved. Why pray? Why go if God is sovereign? If he has designed and, and he has decreed this is what's going to happen? Because it's the way his will is done. He accomplishes it through our prayers and our service. Is God sovereign? Yes, absolutely. But not only does this truth not absolve me of responsibility to pray and, and, and evangelize, it ought to motivate me to pray and evangelize. If this is the way God saves me, then I should be encouraged when I am entwined 
with the life of one who doesn't know Jesus. Look, I, I, I don't mean this in, in any way to be presumptuous or arrogant. That's not it at all. But I take courage anytime I'm involved, very closely involved in sharing the gospel with somebody or at least a portion of the gospel with somebody. I feel like, okay, God's got a purpose in this. This is a good thing. You know, we, we, we take our time worrying about questions like, what if this person is not elect? What if this person is elect? How do I? That's the wrong. Pray. Witness. Do what you do. And trust that God is doing something in this person's life. Especially if you're involved in it. In his sovereign will. He's got you connected. So what should you do? Say, cool. Maybe it'll just... Drift off of me, osmosis, you know, somehow he'll get, no, pray, share Christ. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. An effective prayer life must be informed by a broad knowledge of scripture, which reveals God's promises. Oh my, the prayer that we're going to read in just a few moments is laced with scripture. Portions of this prayer and I am given a very small portion of the list, are, are, are taken from or based on instruction and example from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Psalms, Jeremiah, just to name a few. You're going to look at some of those in home group this week. Just to name a few of the sources of this prayer. So, Daniel, the prophet, who's talking about goats and horns and all kinds of things, is drawing broadly from Scripture to pray to the Lord. Think about the prayer requests that you receive and the personal requests that you share with others. How many of those deal with the material concerns of life, such as health, finances, transmissions? And how many of of them deal with spiritual issues, such as a desire to grow in your understanding of God and his word, or a struggle with sin, even if the sin remains unnamed. We're just as image conscious as the world in many ways. But here's our problem and our blessing. All things are known to the Lord. And if we're going to be serious about our relationship with him and him working in our lives and through us in the place and time to which we are called, then we're going to need to be serious about our relationship with him. We need to be honest with him. And we need the community praying with us on spiritual matters. When we have sinned and long to be restored to a peaceful relationship with the Lord, today's text is our guide. Third, the contrast between God's righteousness and our sinfulness is magnified in a prayer like Daniel's. Unfortunately, the contrast between God's righteousness and our sinfulness is disregarded in our culture. And the attacks are from both directions. 
Who wants to think that they're sinful at the level of shame that Daniel is going to identify in his life and the lives of his brothers and sisters? Furthermore, who is God to call me out on my sin? Who does he think he is? What a question, right? We don't say it exactly like that. But when we get proud and puffed up about our sin, somebody else may call us out on. Well, we're not too far from it. A prayer like the one we're going to read in Daniel 9 will help center our thoughts and lead us to the necessary posture for intimacy with God as described in this last principle. Humility is required for repentance and repentance is required for God's mercy and favor to be granted. We know Daniel is one of the great prophets in the history of the world. I doubt very seriously that Daniel saw himself that way. Over and over last week, he's like, oh, I've been in the presence of angels. I have no idea about this vision that I just saw. I think I'm going to go get in bed for about three days. <clears throat> he wasn't thinking of himself in that way. He was very humble. Daniel knew what the apostle Peter would say nearly 600 years later in 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace <clears throat> to the humble. Imagine God opposing you. <clears throat> I don't want to find myself in that place. <clears throat> Excuse me, but humility... <clears throat> It's not easy. It is a little easier when you see someone as important as Daniel, not only humbling himself because of his sins, but taking responsibility of the sins of the whole community upon himself. And he's not just speaking words. He's serious when he's saying, we have sinned and this is awful and we deserve this and God, we pray for your mercy. <clears throat> Daniel knew that God's people had sinned grievously and that their only hope for restoration with the holy God, <clears throat> excuse me, was for Yahweh to extend his mercy and grace to his people. How often are you aware of your need and for our church's need for God at this level? Not very often, I would say. The Jews weren't either until they went into captivity. Then they became aware of it, and still they didn't change, which is why Daniel is praying like he is. Daniel 9, 3 through 19 is a gospel-soaked prayer of repentance, and a fervent request for God's mercy. And God's mercy is the withholding of judgment that we deserve. <clears throat> it's also a prayer for grace. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve. I pray for God's grace in my life. I pray for God's mercy in my life too. In fact, that's what Jesus was praying on the cross when he said, Father, 
forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't praying, save them on the spot. He was praying, hold back your anger and wrath. May your mercy stay your hand of judgment in this moment. Jesus, in fact, took God's wrath upon himself, dying in our place. <clears throat> and when he died on our, in our place, the wrath, the righteous wrath of God against sin was drained to the dregs. It was poured out on Jesus, and his wrath was assuaged. And thus, we don't find prayers exactly like the one we're going to read Everywhere in the New Testament. There are times it's called for though. In New Testament days. And repentance. And, and a prayer for God's mercy. Is always in order. Look if you have never trusted Christ for your Savior. If you're thinking. No. <clears throat> I'm just going to. Look I'm going to do better. I know I can. I know you're. Then you're probably like me. You're on something like I am, the tomorrow diet. It works really well, I, I want to tell you, for my good. But you're never going to get on a diet tomorrow, are you? If it's constantly, every day is tomorrow. You're never going to be good enough. But that's okay. God loved you enough that Jesus took the punishment for you. And how silly it will sound when we stand before God in heaven. If we haven't trusted Christ for us to say, wasn't I good enough? I'm, I'm, better, than, I'm better than my sister. Come on. <clears throat> That's all of us, right? We're all better than our sister or brother. <clears throat> no, it's not good enough. But Jesus was. And as we read Daniel 9, verses 3 to 19, I'm going to be doing my best to resist making little comments along the way because we really need to get through it. And you can figure this out. But if you've never trusted Jesus Christ in your heart, call out, oh, Lord, save me. I see my sin like Daniel saw his sin and the sin of the people. Please save me. And if you're a believer who has become slack or careless, or if you're like Daniel, as good as gold, pray, Lord, I and my people have sinned. We go together as a unit. Call out to God in repentance and confession of sin. And for Jesus' sake, ask him the Son of God, to grow large in your heart even as you decrease. So all day, we're over halfway through our message. Um, since there would hardly be room for us to assume the posture that really ought to be required in this, where we're all flat out on our face before the Lord, out of respect for God's word, would you please stand as we read this great prayer of repentance. Daniel 9, <clears throat> 3 through 19. Then I turned my face, face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to Yahweh my God and made confession saying, O Lord, 
the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who were near and those who were far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Yahweh, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of Yahweh our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curses and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of Yahweh our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, Yahweh has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For Yahweh our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because our sins, for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercies. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. <clears throat> o my God, incline your ear in here. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas because you before you because of our righteousness. Let me say that again without stuttering here if I can. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's the gospel, isn't it? Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, 
forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Be seated. Four points of application beginning with this. Saturate your heart and mind with scripture so that your prayers will be properly offered to God. I have said a lot lately how important it is to know scripture from beginning to end so that the gospel will flow naturally from you. It's not that I'm against Roman Road. I'll still use it if I get opportunity to to share the gospel. But I find that you don't really get too many opportunities to share the whole thing. So share the gospel in bits and pieces. But the more you know about scripture, the better your presentation will be or the better your interaction with people will be. The more you know about scripture, the better you'll pray. And you won't start by saying, oh, Lord, I just think you're this and I just think you're that. Really, what matters about what I just think about God or his ways? What matters is what God has revealed to me about himself. And that's how I approach him. In Daniel's prayer, there were echoes of Moses' words of warning against sin in Deuteronomy 28 and 30. And Solomon's prayer to dedicate the temple in 1 Kings 8. And a request for God's favor based on the ironic benediction from number 6. A benediction you will hear as we close the service this morning. These are all gospel truths. <clears throat> The more you know about scripture, the more you will know how to pray. So how are you doing on your Bible reading and devotions? It's getting tough, isn't it? Reading about those dimensions of the, of the, um, uh, of the tabernacle and all those sacrifices. Pick up the pace a little bit. I don't mean just like, mm-hmm, okay, I'm skimming. Just like Pastor Fred said, no, I don't mean it like that. But, but. You can move along, and then something will catch your eye, and you'll, you'll stop, and you'll take a little look. And there'll be something there. It's all going up here. Hang in there. You're learning more than you realize. And by the way, that's true for Daniel, too. I got to tell you, it's discouraging having to preach at this level with Daniel. It's taken me all week to get it ready. And then <clears throat> to preach, and people are like, ah. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. Can't wait till we get to Revelation, you know. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> but you know what? You're learning more than you realize. And every at one time, it's, something's going to click and it's going to be, now I get it. So, second, ask God to reveal the horror of your sin to you. Thus helping you to be honest with yourself and about your need for Jesus. It wasn't long ago that we learned from 1 John 1 about the need for believers to continually, honestly, 
confess their sins to the Lord. Lord. And we also learn about the danger of first deceiving others, hiding our sin, then deceiving ourselves. It's really not sin or it's not that bad. And then ultimately calling God a liar because his word tells us that it plainly is a sin. And we say, no, I don't agree with that. Ask God to help you see how grievous your sin is and to help you confess those sins so that you will be made clean and usable in his service. If you're a Christian, I'm not talking about the kind of confession that gets you saved again. I'm talking about the kind that removes any obstacles between you and God. You know what it's like? Those of you who are married, you and your spouse, you and your parents, you and your kids, you and your roommate, when you really blow up, man, there's, you know, you're blowing up, but there are a lot of times where it's just uncomfortable, right? Well, get rid of that. Confess your sin to the Lord. Third, hold God to his promises. You can hold God to his promises. You wouldn't want your child saying, now I'm going to hold you to this. I've, been, I've had good berries on my mind all day long. I'm going to hold you to this. But that's the way God says we can do it. We can remind him of his promises. But we cannot do this in a prosperity gospel kind of way. God, you said if I would do this, then you would do that. So I have done this. Now, come on. Let's have it. James 4, 2 and 3 say, you have not, you do not have because you do not ask And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James' focus was more about the worldliness of his readers, but the point stands. We lack much of what we think ought to be happening because we fail to ask for it. When our prayers, though, are consumed with a desire to have everything the world has, well, then God is gracious to not. Give us our every desire. That's why at the end of a prayer where you request something that you really want for yourself, finish it with the prayer that never fails. Nevertheless, your will be done. The promises that God made to give grace to the humble and forgive those who confess their sins are the kinds of promises we can expect God to keep. Think again about Daniel's prayer in verse 19. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That leads us to the last point of the application or of application. Pray. And confess and live as though Jesus' name and reputation depend on it. Daniel reminded the Lord that his reputation, God's reputation, Yahweh's reputation was at stake. And that he should forgive and restore his people for his name's sake. What if all of us lived as though Jesus' name and reputation depended on us, depending on God, 
to lead us to live obedient and godly lives. I would hope that it would motivate us to pray and to pray fervently. One of the more delightful studies, <clears throat> never used to use words like delightful until I married a commonwealth, you know, person, an Aussie. And they all, you know, the men talk about, that's lovely. Yes, it's just lovely. And, you know, American men don't usually say things are lovely, but I'm half Aussie now, I suppose. One of the most delightful discoveries of this study in Daniel is the introduction that I have received to Ralph Davis in his short and yet powerful commentary on Daniel. Someone asked this past week, if I really wanted to know Daniel, um, what, what did I, what, where should I go? And I said, get this little commentary. It's really great. In fact, Ralph Davis, a message on Daniel. Do you want to get a preview of the sermon? Go ahead and get that book. And just kidding. I use others more than he, him, but I will say that occasionally he delivers these powerful applications like the one last week from the Nazis and how their power was fleeting and it was like a vapor. And they thought they were going to go somewhere in, in this life and they were going to intimidate and just decimate other people and bend them to their will and yet they were collected in an urn of ashes and poured out in a muddy ditch. After they had been executed. Well. He's got another one. <laughs> that I want to share with you. It's a little bit lengthy. Um, but this. Excerpt from. Davis book. Encourages us to pray that God will fulfill the promises. That he's made in his word. You may be thinking. I don't. I really don't know what I need to ask, but our thinking is way too narrow. We're kind of like, you know, the far side cartoon. You ever see that cartoon where a guy's on the on a desert island, and I mean, he's been through it, and a genie has popped out of a bottle, and he says, well, let's see. I've got rhythm. I've got music. Who could ask for anything more? <laughs> I think we feel that way sometimes. I mean, everything I've got going for me, well... Mr. Davis is going to broaden our horizons a little bit. Writing about Daniel's prayer, he said this, quote, In practice, this promise to prayer pattern that we have seen in Daniel means Christians should let the Bible become their prayer book. What if I am reading, for example, in Micah 4? Of that marvelous description of Yahweh's kingdom in which converted nations are salivating over the word of God. And then I come to verse 4. And they shall sit each man under his vine and under his fig tree with no one terrifying them. For the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken it. The verse depicts the individual and secure enjoyment of the peace of Yahweh's kingdom. And it should goad me to prayer. Should I not think of Jesus' flock in Orissa State and elsewhere in India where they are burned out of houses and home? Or of Christian girls in Egypt and Pakistan who were abducted, raped, and forced 
into Islamic marriage? And as we're going about this, think about how often when people say, we're heading for bad days ahead, and you're like, nah, I don't see it. This is going on everywhere in our world today. And what of believers beaten and bombed in Nigeria, the, the, the most dangerous place in the world, Nigeria, for Christians, of Christ's disciples shut up in prisons from Eritrea to China? Should I not pray for the fulfillment of Yahweh's promise in Micah 4.4 4, for the sake of his devastated people? Yet it is Yahweh's promise itself that triggers that prayer. Or when I happen on to Romans 11, 23 and 24, do you know, remember this? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem from Psalm 22, I think it was, but we went to Romans 11 because who is Jerusalem? Who are the Jews? Who are, the, who are God's chosen people? Is it still the Jews or is it now all Christians, whether they be Gentile or Jews? Well, it's, it's both. Because in Romans 11, he talks about how God had to put the nation down so that the Gentiles would rise. But then at the very end, he says, but you know what? They're going to all be saved. They're going to all turn to Jesus. And I can't make that in any way. I've tried and tried to see if there's any way. Not that I'm looking for it. I, I'd prefer it to be this way. But it is absolutely the Jews as a group of people turning back to God. And all scripture seems to indicate that what happened in Jerusalem primarily. So regardless of my millennial view, I believe the Jews are going to turn back to the Lord. And when I read that in Romans 11, 23 and 24, ought it not incite me to pray that God would graft Israel into his people again, bringing them from unbelief to faith? Now, I, let me just stop again. I, I, I got all ideas that Ralph Davis is an amillennialist who would understand that God's people are Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. That's all. But he understands Romans 11 that way. Does that item often appear on my intercessory radar screen? It does for some of you, but not for all of us. And yet, it might not be a promise as such that stirs prayer. It may be an assurance or a description when one reads about Yahweh in Isaiah 33, 6, he will be the stability of your times. Or that description of the exodus uh, God, the exodus of description of God in the exodus in Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Do not wavering and suffering believers come to mind or are we so narrow-minded are we so focused on our own stuff that we don't realize the body of Christ much of the body of Christ is suffering now and don't you delight he's a British guy don't you delight to ask that this God will show himself to them in his character that is so suited to their needs it is the Daniel way. Let scripture drive your prayer. So 
if you want to dare to be a Daniel, let it be this way. Let his example drive us to prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess, we confess, Lord, that we are a lax and lazy and compromising and justifying sinful people. We belong to Jesus, and of all people, we ought to not only know better, we ought to be better because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But we recognize our shortcomings, our failures, and, and our sin. That's what it is. And so we confess to you and ask that gospel truth would set our hearts on fire to live for you, and to pray that you will fulfill your promises, not only for us, but for brothers and sisters throughout the world, that we stand for Jesus in his power and strength, be led by the Holy Spirit according to your plan, O oh Father. Amen. Would you please stand? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.